0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Two Goalies, One Mike. Episode 18, we have a Buffalo sports legend on the podcast. Uh, You know, a white whale for me and Dwayne, somebody we're really proud. And Dwayne, I'll let you tee this one up because I know how much work you put into this one.
2: Yeah, man, I was an absolute pest on social media for sure. Um, I'm kind of relentless when it comes to that. But Marty was very nice enough to uh, respond. And um, without further ado, we have number 43 on his jersey, number one in your hearts, Martin Buron. I'm, I'm surprised you guys haven't mentioned anything about my background
1: yet and all these cool goalie masks. Actually, this one here, the Gilles oh. Grattan one, is one yes. that I copied when I had a, a, a mask with the New York Rangers for the Winter Classic. So you guys are goalies and you haven't commented on the wall of... It's we a virtual there.
2: wall, but it's still a wall of mass. We were getting there, don't you worry. We were getting there, Marty. Um,
0: thanks for it. having me,
2: guys.
0: No, dude, <laughs> thanks for being here. This is um hey Dwayne, you forgot to mention though, the the double zero, the number one okay. in our oh. hearts, and no oh. double zero for a year, yep. and then the NHL yep. sneaking in the rule the next year, right?
2: Just steal my thunder, Cully, because I was gonna bring it up pre-show. You were yeah. in your you and you are in your debut, I think one of the only players ever to wear the number double zero on your debate with the sabers i'm right with that i'm pretty sure i have your card with the number there's there's three
1: guys that wore number zero um there was a player that played uh, 20 games with the hartford whalers oh man i have his name and it escapes me right now uh, because we just did a show that's going to be on nhl network about um who wore it best, 99 through one, right? And then they decided to add the zero and double zero. But then John Davidson also wore double zero with the New York Rangers Mm -hmm. for one season. Um, I think it was Phil Esposito, uh, who played for the Rangers, suggested to JDA, it'd be great to wear that number. He wore it for a year and then "Uh decided it wasn't good, and he went back to his own number. For me, it goes back to minor midget. The goalie numbers were double zero, One and 33, I believe. I never really liked the number one. 33 was Patrick Raw's number, and I was a Quebec City fan, Quebec Nordiques fan, so I didn't want to wear that. There you go, you got it in the back there, that's right. And so I'm like, I'll wear double zero. And I had a fantastic year in midget that year. Uh, I got drafted in juniors. When I got to my junior team, they said, Do you want to wear double zero? I'm like, Absolutely. Had a great year, double zero, my first year juniors. Got drafted by the Sabres. Um, showed up in camp and I didn't have double zero in camp. They gave me number 35, um, which was fine. I mean, I was in camp. Who was I to say, hey, I want double zero? And it was really a surprise when I got called up that year as an 18 year old that double zero was hanging in my stall. So, but I didn't really do well. I was 0 2 and 2, uh, played in three games at a goals against average of over five. Um, did not go so well with the double zero. So I think 43 worked <laughs> out better for me. So that was
2: okay yeah indeed it did man um you actually have a son that plays too correct if I'm wrong he last time I looked he was playing for East Aurora I uh coach uh I coached uh up until this past year when I came on board with uh Dominic Hashix Foundation Mm Hashik's Heroes um we uh I coached was one of the coaches with Depew uh, High School for nine seasons and I had the privilege of watching your son play a couple times and the one game I remember is against uh, Orchard Park, you know, Fonz's Orchard yep. Park team. Uh, I don't know how much experience you have with Fonz, but... Uh, I know him a little guy. bit
1: because in that <laughs> circle now, but... Um, yeah. He played at East two years ago. He didn't play high school hockey last year. He played on a full uh, season team at uh, 15U uh, levels. So he was with Amherst last season. Obviously now uh, we're moving around a little bit. Things are happening for next year, but um what i to be honest with you like i was on the ice with him a lot when he was growing up like well a lot as much as i could when he was 10 11 12 actually when he was 11 he decided to play forward again and i was like what are you doing like you've been a goalie for the last three years you want to be (laughs) forward now which i am going to tell you this it was probably the best thing that could happen to him because he did power skating he developed different muscles he developed his his hockey sense and then when he returned to goalie he had all these skills that he acquired that nobody else really did. Um, so maybe his development was a little later, a late-blooming late kind of guy, but he's, he's really trending the right direction now. And uh, he's taller than me, believe it or not. He's not even 16 yet, and he's past me. Good. And, and uh, he's way better than I ever was. And that's one of the things I told you guys I'm a, I'm a goalie geek, uh, dork. I love equipment. I love, love talking shop, talking crease And the goalies that are 12, 13, 14, 15 now are a hundred times better technically than I was when I was 22. And I was playing NHL games and I watched tapes of me playing NHL games. And I'm like, what was I doing? Like I'm all over the place. I'm diving, I'm sliding, I'm, I'm getting up with the wrong leg. I'm not pushing with the right edge. It's like, what am I doing? And the kids nowadays are so much better so he um he he teaches me things now when we go on the ice which is fantastic
2: soon it becomes a teacher i love it
0: absolutely it is awesome marty i wanted to ask you growing up you mentioned you were a nordiques fan um but just the the history of you know the the goaltending um you know that you got to see growing up and what it was like you know playing uh you know in in that quebec peewee tournament as as a as a young guy Um, and and who were your guys growing up well I mean I grew up and watching the Nordiques so
1: I was a huge Peter Stastny fan when the Stastny brothers Mm -hmm. came over first it was Peter and Anton the younger of the three was Anton and then Peter was in the middle Marion was the older and Marion stayed back in Czechoslovakia at the time and then it took a year for him to finally come over Uh, you know the Stastny's were were amazing I love watching mostly Peter and funny enough like I got starstruck with Peter Stasny, not once, not twice, but three times where I bailed. I went to go introduce myself and say, hi, Mr. Stasney, and I walked the other direction because I was so scared. Um, it wasn't until we played a charity um, alumni game that I was forced to talk to him because he was on my team and I, I had to say something. <laughs> and in the first minute of the first period, Rick Vive came down the wing, took a slap shot, beat me five And then Peter Stastny jumps on the ice and he goes, Marty, what are you doing? Make a save. Like, we got to win this game. So he's giving me crap about the goal, right? So Rick oh, Vive, I
2: love, it. So because, vibe, I love it, it. It
1: was awesome. But yeah, Peter Stastny was a, a big uh, guy that I, I used to look up to. And I used to, so my dad was a construction worker. You know, very uh, hardworking family. My mom worked as a secretary and, and, you know, kind of just did what she had to do. And my dad would grab different jobs just to pay for hockey equipment and all of that. And his company that he worked for had season tickets. Well, they would give tickets to employees, but the Montreal Canadiens tickets were always gone. The Boston Bruins tickets were always gone. The Sabres tickets were always gone because there was a big following with the French Connection through the 70s and the early 80s. So so those tickets were gone. Uh, If you had the Flyers, the Rangers, the Leafs, like these tickets were always gone. The tickets that my dad got were the Hartford Whalers tickets. And so we would go down by the glass, and I would watch Mike Leot play uh, for the Hartford Whalers, or at least in warm-up. And he had the green jersey, right, and loved the Hartford Whalers jerseys. But – he would be there and I would watch my Cleot. and he was the one guy when I was a kid, I was like, man, this guy is good. And I used to love watching him. So that was probably one of the goalie that I, uh, I loved watching, uh, a up type of guy, uh, style wise. And, and he was big and strong and was definitely a, a guy that I, uh, I tried to, to watch for as, as often as I could.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, just to piggyback off that a little bit, um, before you, like, you know, made your playing debut with the Sabres, did you ever actually get the opportunity to – because I know some players that we people talked to, um, they got an opportunity to see, uh, you know, I know Petey's, Petey was at least, was able to uh, go to a game in the old odd as a fan. Where did, you, did you ever get that opportunity?
1: No, I never did. And I really, to be honest with you, um, I, I didn't even interview with the Buffalo Sabres when I got drafted. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where I interviewed with a bunch of teams – The Sabres were drafting at 16 uh, that year, um, and they made a trade at the 95 draft where they traded McGillney to Vancouver. They got Michael Pekka. They got a first-round pick. So that first-round pick ended up being Jay McKee. So I was a few picks later, and then the Sabres decided to to take a shot on a goalie because they had two first-round picks. But I had never uh, interviewed with the Sabres. Uh, Obviously, I, I knew a little bit of Buffalo, especially by that point. Uh, because in the 93 playoffs, Montreal beat the Quebec Nordics in the first round, and then they beat Buffalo in the second round. That's the year Bran May scored the uh, May Day goal. So mm-hmm. and Dominic Cash at Grand Fjord, that whole thing. So I, I followed the league, and I followed the goalies, but I can't say that I really was at any Sabres games Uh, growing up that I remember and I never made it down to Buffalo the further I went was Niagara Falls one summer but I never made it to Buffalo to uh, to watch a hockey game at the odds so when I when I got drafted this was all brand new to me like the memorial auditorium the city the fans it was all new and and from the start it was a great fit
0: that's awesome. I, w- I wanted to ask you about just your time in the Quebec league. I had a chance to, um, you know, spend some time playing for the Kingston Frontenacs. And so, you know, being that close um, I, I kind of get that feel and how the game changes a little bit. Right. And oh, yeah. I, I just wanted you to touch on your experience in the Quebec league. Uh, where were you drafted? Um, I, I see that you spent time on a few different teams. I had that same opportunity, you know, And uh, what was that like? And how did that prepare you, you know, being a first round pick in the show? Well,
1: funny enough, in midget, I had to move away. I was, I turned 16. Okay. And August 15th, 1993. So that's when I turned 16 years old. The very next day, I got a call from a coach eight and a half hours away saying, Hey, Marty, there was an expansion draft. We ended up getting your rights. If you want to play minor midget, you have to come to us. Uh, camp will resume in a couple of days. So now I have 48 hours as a 16 year old. And for us, that year is our senior year of high school. The schooling is a little different. Grade 11 is our s- senior year. So I- I'm looking at this like I'm going to be a senior. And now all of a sudden I got to pack up and move away eight hours away to go play midget. Um, my dad and I packed up the car, went, and I played midget over there. So when I got drafted in juniors, I got drafted in Beauport which is actually Quebec City. It's a suburb of Quebec City. It would be like if I lived in, in, in Clarence and was drafted by Orchard Park. Like, it was really, like, right there. It was in my hometown. So it was a return home for me. I was really excited to play for that team. I started as the backup. There was another guy there. His name was Steve Vesna. Um, you know, unfortunately, passed a few years uh, from cancer, and that was, was very sad when, yeah, you know, you, you get older and some of your teammates are dealing with situation like this. But um, so he was my, my first really uh, goalie guide in juniors. And he was drafted by the Winnipeg jets. So he we went to a pro camp and he came back and told me all about it. And he was very athletic and, and worked really hard in practice. So I tried to keep up with him, but then the competition became like this. And he was, I don't want to say he, he, he was jealous, but he, he was the older guy and I was a young guy coming in and he wasn't giving me much. Like in practice, if we were doing drills at one end of the rink, he wouldn't give up his neck. So I had to do my own thing and I had to really work hard on my own stuff. Uh, and, you know, and, and we talked about it afterwards and everything was fine. Uh, but I learned a lot from that point. And, and maybe later in my career, it allowed me to be a really good backup to Millsy, a really good backup to Henrik Lundqvist. And all of that, because I had dealt with that that confrontation, that, that competition at an early age. So um, really, I, I wanted to compete, wanted to be a number one goalie. He felt like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I'm the guy that's drafted in the NHL. We battled a little bit. The coach that I had in juniors was a really hard type coach, and he was tough. And uh, he saw my work ethic, and he saw my dedication, and he gave me more games. And by halfway in the season, I was the number one goalie and, you know, had a lot of success that year. And then I got drafted. So that that year for me was uh, it was was very eye opening and gave me a chance to really stand out for what I wanted to be as a goalie. Uh, And, uh, you know, every situation opens the door, right? It's you have Mm -hmm. to take on that that challenge and uh, and that opportunity. And and I did my first year in juniors.
0: Was Elaine Vigneault your coach for the Harfangs?
1: He was a year and a half later, so Joe Canali was the coach at the time, and Joe was you know just a um, a, a fireball he was a, a, a italian english French type of guy that mixed all three languages in practice yeah. uh, He would come in the room and he had he was little guy skinny guy, but he was fiery um, some guys it was great some guys it wasn 't so great I, I I almost compared Joe to uh, John Tortorella like they were the same type of coach they really demanded a lot from their players and uh, wasn't afraid to wear his heart on his sleeve and uh, really I I love that I I love that feeling so uh, I played my first year with Joe my second year we started at Christmas time we weren't doing so well uh, and uh, that's when I actually got called up by the Buffalo Sabres uh, to play some games when I returned two juniors Joe was gone Alain Vigneault had arrived Alain and I didn't really see eye to eye but we can laugh about it now because we talk about it often um, it wasn't a great mix the year later I got traded to Hall and Hall was the top team in the correct major junior league at the time we were gonna host the memorial cup so I was supposed to be the guy I was going to Hall to be the number one guy I played the last maybe 16 of the last 18 games of the season and when we got to the playoffs, in the, in the first round, we had a bye. Second round, we played Danny Breer in Drummondville. Danny mm-hmm. Breer was like my kryptonite. Every time he shot the puck, it didn't matter if it was from center ice or five feet away, the puck went in the net. I didn't really play well against Drummondville. The backup at the time started standing on his head. He played the rest of the games. He played the Memorial Cup, and we won the Memorial Cup, and I didn't get to play at all. So, again, learning experience. Claude Julien was my coach in Hull. I talk to him all the time about that, and he laughs and he says, "Maybe I taught you a lesson about you know being tough mentally and working hard." And and maybe he did. So that was another big turning point in my career as to where I ended up going.
2: Me, me, and Cully have had this conversation with multiple guests too the importance of that relationship with uh, not just your coach but your your counterpart, and that and it's like it I mean. I, I, me personally, I've been on both sides of that fence where I'm standing on the bench, you know, hoping you know, that I get my chance to get in there. Cause like you, I want to compete. I want to get in that. I, mm-hmm. I, like, I want to be the starter at the same time. You have to also be extremely supportive because at the end of the day, you know, as, uh, Herb Brooks would have said, um, it's about the name on the front of the jersey not the back of the jersey. And sometimes there were some times where I just, you know, sat on the bench for a few games in a row. And until I got my chance to get back in that. I'm sure Johnny can say the same thing, and, and you just told us, you know, the same thing. That relationship you have with, you know, you know the other goaltender on your team is so important, so important. You know, you, you sure. be able to build each other back up, to build, sure. to build, build sure. each other back up when you're down, and, you know, not to get too high, not get too low. So, this is like, honestly, what do you say, John, like the fourth or fifth time we've had this conversation, how important it is? You, you, yeah,
0: and you. It's, it's almost like you want him to you want him to win seven six, right? So you want the team. Yeah, to win. exactly.
1: <laughs> I wasn't really like that. I'll be honest with you. That for me, I wanted to get the starts. And if you gave me yeah. starts, I was going to give everything. When I was on the bench, there is many times, and maybe a little later in my career, where there's a couple quick goals, and I'm I'm like turning my head away from the coach, and I'm like, don't look my way. That is not the situation that i i want like i'll take it Mm -hmm. if you give it to me i'll take it but i want to work hard in practice i want to get some starts and i want to show that i can do uh that job and really the other side of it too is i was so fortunate and so lucky like to make it to the national hockey league you have to have luck on your side or some some opportunities most people may get one some some players will get six or seven so the reason I got called up at 18 was because Hashek and Trefalov and Rob Stauber were all hurt. The only goalies left in the organization were Steve Shields and myself. So I got called up at 18. The reason why I, I got brought back up to Rochester, my first year in Rochester, I didn't play well. Mike Bills, current goalie coach for the Sabres, was my goalie partner. And he was playing pretty well. I did not have a good season. I got sent down to the East Coast League. And then – on a Saturday, I, so I went down to the East Coast on Wednesday, played the Friday night, played the Saturday night. I boarded the bus to go on the road, and then we got a phone call saying, Marty, you got to get back to Rochester ASAP. Bill Z uh, blew out his knee in Hershey uh, tonight, and he's out for the rest of the year. I came back to Rochester, and I finished the season on fire. That opportunity mm-hmm. opened up. It's unfortunate. I tell Bill Z all the time, like, man, like, without your injury, I don't know that I would have made it. But the opportunity <laughs> opened up. I took it. When Dominic Hasek got hurt, my third year pro, I got sent back down to Rochester. And I was mad. I, I was I had had a great camp. I was goalie of the year the year before. And then they sent me down to Rochester. And I'm angry about it. And I started the season 6-0 in Rochester. And the Sabres were like 0-4-2. And nobody was really playing well. And I got called up. And I played against Carolina and we won. And then Hasek came back and played a couple of games and won. But in a second game, he got hurt. And then he missed eight weeks. And then I stayed in Buffalo and I played, you know, 30-some games that year uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. So these opportunities open up sometimes. It, it's unfortunate. It could be injury. It yep. could be bad playing or whatnot. So you never want those opportunities and and you don't pray and ask for those opportunities, but if they come up, you better be ready. And you better be ready to take it. And that's, that's what I tell people all the time.
2: Byron Defoe said the same thing to what me and Kalia last week. Uh, It's all about taking advantage of the opportunities. Sometimes it's dumb luck, Um, you know, Byron, Yeah. You know, and uh, he he told us a story, a story very similar to that as well. And uh, you know, I'm grateful you got that opportunity, man, because, we didn't just get one of the better goalies in franchise history. We got one of the best personalities ever, Grace. This <laughs> the franchise. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I played Bantam minor for the Depew Saints, and I still have the jersey. 43, Marty, for you, buddy. Okay,
1: you know, man, I like it. Year, now, the next year, year? double
0: zero. I went double zero the next year.
1: What year were you in Kingston?
0: Uh, this would have been 2010. Doug Gilmore was my coach. Okay, so –
1: Man, I remember there was a goalie in Kingston in 95, 94, 95, right-handed goalie. Um, he was nominated. He was OHL Goalie of the Year, and I can't remember his name. But he was he was a great guy. I, I don't know if you ever met some of the alumni or whatnot. I, Chad something, I think his name was. I'd have to look him up. But um, so I,
0: I, I, I don't know. Kingston was yeah. a fun place, man. I, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, but just being that close – I, I wish we would have done more cross-league stuff, not just the Mem Cup. Because, I, you know, being that close yeah. to Hall and stuff, like I, I just always wanted to know how we would have fared against the Q teams. You know, because you look at them as being, I don't know, more skilled, I guess. You know, and um, at the time, um, you know, they had a good run of, of, of skilled defensemen coming out of the league, first-round picks yes. and goaltenders too. Uh, just really good puck moving D in the Q Uh, So I was always curious to how we would stack up, but uh, I didn't get to interact much with the the Kingston alumni. I finished up in Windsor um, and uh, got the chance to play for Bobby Bugner. Did you play with Bobby? (laughs) I played with Bobby uh,
1: a little bit. He
0: was great, and uh, I loved
1: talking to him when he was coaching in Florida and he'd come in here to Buffalo, obviously with Rob Ray and I. We would just, you know, talk to him in the hallway. Uh, He's a great man. Uh, a, a kind of guy that gives everything for his team and his teammate. Uh, you know, he had the big hair when he played, and every time he got in a fight, the hair would shake every – it, like it, it looked like he was losing every fight because his hair was all over the place. Um, so that's why, you know, some guys say if you're a fighter, you better have short hair so it doesn't look like every time you move, you're getting hit. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, uh, he was fantastic,
0: great guy. Awesome coach. Oh too. I remember the first time I met him because uh, the first year I got traded there, he was in Columbus, I believe. And yep. he still owned the Spitz. So um, DJ Smith was my coach. I don't yep. know if you know Doggy. He's awesome yep. um, in Ottawa now. Um, so Bob uh, comes back. I think I was there for like a week and uh, Windsor had a great new facility. I'm in the steam room and all of a sudden in walks Bob Boogner. <laughs> and we just started shooting the shit. And I, I had played really well in her the night before and he was pumped that I was, you know, I just got, gotten there on the trade deadline. And I'd remember, like you talked about, the hair and seeing him and Dwayne, like you mentioned, the boogeyman, like watching him growing up. That was a cool moment for me. Oh, yeah. like, welcome to Windsor. He's you're gonna be your coach next year, but he's still your owner now. Like it was just really cool dynamic yeah. and a really fantastic coach that I was fortunate to have the chance to play for. That's cool. Got it, Dick.
2: Yeah. They actually reached out to Johnny. Remember your, they'd had an interview with you on WGR when he was a possible coaching yep. candidate. Yep. And you, uh, you told Howard us uh, similar stories. Yep. Yeah. That was, was awesome. Uh,
0: that was when, yeah, when we, were, when we were making our hire before he was in Florida, right? And they had me on. Yep. And uh, that was really cool. Howard and Simon are good guys. So obviously, Marty, you get, to, you get to talk to them too. So yep. Yep. Um, I, I wish that would have worked out with Boogie here in Buffalo, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, another, <laughs> another day.
2: Another day. Um, you also play, Marty, you also played for that U-20 uh, gold medal team in 97. Um, you had to, like you said, uh, Danny Breer was your kryptonite, but yeah. he was also on that team with you, I believe. Um, was it Chris Phillips was on that team with you? Chris Phillips was on that I mean, team. Wrong. He was actually um, my
1: roommate. And uh, we were in yep. Geneva, Switzerland, so Chris Phillips was my roommate. Is just a young guy. Uh, Joe Thornton was just a 17-year-old uh, yep. guy. Um, he barely played. He was our 13th forward. So, um, Mark Denis, who was a really good goalie with Columbus and Tampa, a uh, little bit in Colorado, and does a great job on the French-Montreal-Canadians broadcast right now. Uh, Mark Denis was the number one guy. He was returning from the year before. I was his backup. Uh, Mike Babcock was our coach. Uh, we had uh, guys like uh, Brad Isbister, Brad Larson, Fred Larson is now an assistant coach with Columbus with John Tortorello. He's on the bench. Uh, we had some some really uh, you know good players, but again, it's junior, so you don't really know. You know, guys coming from three different leagues, some college guys. Uh, we had a guy named Jason Doig. He just came from Winnipeg with the Jets, a defenseman, and he came down. So how is that all gonna work and mesh together? Um, I did not have a great pre pre tournament games and and. Mike Babcock was a little bit hesitant to throw me in, so I did not start any game. But I got to play eight seconds. And this is the most memorable eight seconds in the history of the world juniors. I tell you. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. So Geneva, the rink was basically an international ice surface. But for the tournament, they decided to make it a little bit smaller to, you know, create more of a North American feel. So the benches were on ice. The penalty box were on ice. So you could literally skate on the bench, you know, because there would be a five, six feet of ice right there available to you. There was carpets down for the coaches. But so I'm the backup. I put my gloves down on the ground, right? And I'm like, I got the towel and the hat and I'm like. Backup towel. So we're in this one game and I don't remember what game it is. And there's a delayed penalty on the other team. So the goalie, Mark Denise skates to the bench. Jumps on the bench. We send on an extra guy. Whistle penalty. Commercial break. So Mark Denny stays at the bench for a glass of water, and he's talking to everybody. All of a sudden, the referee comes over and he says, "Hey, uh, coach, um, you will be given a two-minute delay of game because in international play at the time, goalies were not allowed to just come to the bench during commercial break." And he's trying to argue. Look, he skated on the delayed penalty. He says, "No." He has to go back uh, uh, and you get a two minute penalty or you switch goalies and you're clear. Well, we're going on the power play. So Mike Babcock's like, okay, Marty, you're going in. (laughs) So I grab my gloves from the floor. They are literally ice box. Like I I can't even close my glove. I can't even close my blocker hand around my stick because they are so cold from being on the ice. I get in the net. And I, you know, stretch a little bit, do my thing or whatnot. We win the face-off in the offensive zone. And all my backcock is yelling about is, get a whistle, get a whistle. <laughs> Guys are trying to <laughs> flip the puck in the stands to get a whistle so we can switch goalies again. Like, you know, this is very important. We, I haven't seen yeah. the same action in, a, in two, three weeks. And I'm completely frozen from being on the bench. So we get a whistle. Sure enough. I switched goalie again. So I played a total of eight seconds in that tournament. So that year I won gold at the World Juniors. I won the Memorial Cup. A few years later, I won the World Championship of Hockey in 03 and got gold medals that, that yep. year. So I got two gold medals, three rings, and I played a total of eight seconds. So I was that for
2: a stat <laughs> line? That was really good. That's incredible. That's awesome. Man, how, what is that like playing in tournaments like that, too, by the way? Like, just you know, the it, like the international, the spotlight's kind of on you. It's not like playing, obviously, like a Memorial Cup where, you know, it's more or less the focus is in Canada, not from a world's perspective. But, you know, being on the national stage, that has to be like a different kind of pressure.
1: It was different. 97, though, it wasn't what it is now with the World Juniors. We didn't have a full house in Geneva. Uh, it wasn't broadcasted in the way that it is now. Uh, it was big in Canada to a certain extent. Uh, but the fun part about it is we were a bunch of 18, 19 year olds and we were in Geneva, Switzerland, and we were a team. We celebrated Christmas together. We celebrated New Year's together. You know, your family is not around. You have to kind of work together as a team. So our coaches became our uh, confident to a certain extent. I learned I had been traded from Beauport to Hall while I was uh in uh, at the world juniors we used to have a little newsletter every morning at breakfast and it would say basically the scores in the ohl whl qmghl what's happened in the nhl and that's and that and then it'd be news and notes and then it says uh martin biron got traded from beauport to hall and that's how i found out right so it was completely <laughs> different than what it is now but what an experience to you know, fly out. I'd never been to Europe really before. I I no, I never been to Europe. I can't say really, I'd never been to Europe before. So you get on a plane, you fly to, you know, Germany, Frankfurt, I think we flew in, and then we bus to, you know, play a preseason game in Germany and then, you know, through Switzerland until we got to Geneva. Uh, you know, that city is amazing. So I have some really, really cool memories of, of that and some great relationship with some of the coaches. Like I said, Mike Babcock was a coach. Mike Polino was an assistant coach. Uh, I've kept you know, in touch with Plugger for years. Uh, he'd been coaching in the KHL the last few years. Um, he was with Mike Keenan in the KHL a few years back. So I've kept in touch with so many of those people. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to know that you have that, that support, right, and that you were mm-hmm. a team and you achieved that goal together.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop. Created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitts is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mits apart from the evil chain Super Duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Sheiktawaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mits to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitt's Shop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868- one four two four, and their hours are Monday twelve to six, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, ten a.m. to seven p.m. On Saturday they're open from nine a.m. to four p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers tired of the cookie-cutter salons trying to get your attention, also tired of those men-focused salons, then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better, then Mitts is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mits just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. Yeah,
2: yeah. I did that to tee up Cully because uh, he had the opportunity to play for Team USA, so I wanted him to touch on that too, you know, <laughs> being able to slip that jersey on. I know he got a little upset because I cut him off there, but I was teeing no, him up. No,
0: I'm happy you brought it up. Marty, when you were in Geneva, we flew into Frankfurt too. Okay. Uh, we, we played in Prague and Pietzny and Czech and yep. Slovakia. I just remember – that the biggest culture shock for me was going down to breakfast and there being like lunch meat, like cold cuts. Yeah. And like, for me, that was very unusual, but it was my first time in, uh, in Europe. But, um, and then being in the games, uh, it, the, the, the drums on the top of the stands and yeah. just boom, boom, boom. And that was unique. I had never seen that before. Geneva wasn't really like that, that, you know, I remember going to the world championship
1: in Finland in 03, um, which was a little bit more in that way. But before the tournament, we were in Latvia. And let me tell you, the Latvians, they don't stop. They play music. They play song. We played against Denmark. Denmark never stopped. Like, their fans were nuts. So it depends on on the the, the countries, the cultures a little bit. So when we were in Geneva, it wasn't like that a whole lot. Uh, And funny enough, you mentioned, because you played – uh, for Team USA. We played against Team USA in the finals in 97. Eric Rasmussen was on that team. And, you know, I had later played with him. The goalies for Team USA, USA that year, Brian Boucher, Robert Ash. I mean, you, you think about it, like, it's really cool that you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, David Abisher played for Team Switzerland. Uh, and David Abisher later played for Colorado. So it's cool to know that you look back and you're like, man, that was that was kind of fun to know that you know, there was other players that you end up playing against in the National Hockey League that were there.
0: I remember on that note, Gregorenko had a hat trick on me for Russia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <And that> was, <laughs> as an underager, he was a 92 and I'm a 91. Yeah. And he's up as a 17-year-old as a or a 16-year-old, just sniping me short side, welcome to international hockey, Cully. So yeah. that was a quick welcome. But no, it, it's cool experience there. Like you said, Marty, being able to put on that – your country's jersey for the first time. There's nothing like it. Um, I'm just trying to take myself back to that moment, and, and the words really can't do it justice. It's kind of that surreal moment. Dwayne, you brought up Herb Brooks, but like really, you, you kind of get that feeling, uh, at least for me, uh, putting on the red, white, and blue. And I'm sure it was for you putting on the Maple Leaf. So yeah,
2: and,
1: and to be honest with you, I've been now in the U.S. for 22 years, and uh, you know I've I've played with a lot of players that represented the U.S. In international competition, you know, Brian Gionta going to the Olympics. Uh, you know, I'm a good friend with David Legio. He went to the Olympics uh, last time. I remember even a guy like Jason Ponville, although he grew up in, in Montreal, played for the Americans um, mm-hmm. at the World Championship because he had the dual citizenship. So, you know, I, I've, I've, gotten, I've grown to really appreciate and love the American history uh, in, uh, in hockey and going from 1980s and, and even more, you, you talk, what was it? The 96th world cup, uh, Canada, USA. And I remember that was my, uh, second training camp, I believe with the Sabres and, you know, Patty LaFontaine came in and, uh, you know, at training camp and they had won the gold medal. So it, it's definitely really cool to see.
0: That World Cup yeah. of Hockey was something else, too, man. That, was, was. that was some really phenomenal hockey. I was yeah. bummed out that they really got away from that because that was a cool format they did. And that was fun just to see the US Canada matchup kind of re, re, revitalized there. And then we didn't really see that until, what was it, 2012 or 14? Yeah. yeah, it was a little
1: later. That's when they had the young uh, North American stars. And I want to say that was 2016. 20- North America. 16, probably. Yeah. Because in fourteen there was an Olympic and in well, eighteen there was an Olympic, so I think that was the start of the sixteen season. But still, it was it was really cool.
2: Yeah, Jack was on that team, and he was yep. his two thousand fifteen draft year, so that would have been fifteen sixteen draft. You're right. Yeah, so
1: that's the uh, September of sixteen. I believe that's when yep. they uh, they played that tournament. It was really cool. Uh, international hockey always brings like this this sense of uh of of uh unity country whatever you know people bring their colors out it's like the world cup of soccer you know it, it definitely reaches a, a much bigger audience on the on the world stage
2: yeah make sure i wanted T to call you up for that because i know that's something he's very proud of and uh make sure uh, that he got the you know talk to you a little bit about that because, any uh, anybody on,
1: on your team uh that uh, uh had great tournaments or you know did uh i i trying to think
0: 2010 i nick letty recall nick letty okay so he he was a horse i just remember his skating on the big ice he had great boots on him um I it made my life easy on the, on the rims because as you know on the big ice the kids, it's a whole different story getting out and yeah. stopping that puck right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I
1: hated the big ice I felt like I had a soccer net behind me I was always off my angle and uh yeah I hated a big ice uh, even practicing at the uh, Northtown Center on the big ice sometimes like I was awful with that so and trying to play the puck as you said like you try to go back there it takes forever and then you stop it and you know your defensemen are so far away. Well, if you have a guy like Nick Letty, he's gonna skate and come and get it. You stop and get out of the way, and it, it works.
0: Yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was nice. I remember that having him back there. Um, yeah. But I remember just Team Canada was loaded that '91 year. They had O'Reilly, Kane, um, <laughs> Cassian. They were they were stacked. Yeah. They ended up winning gold that year. We finished fourth. Um, I remember oh Taylor Hall too. We played. Here's a good story. <clears throat> We were in opposite divisions, so we get there, we fly into Frankfurt, we get over to Piezny, we play Canada and Slovakia, uh, two, t- two teams that we're not going to play in the tournament, and like pre-tournament games, right? Yep. And um, I didn't know who Taylor Hall was, I had not drafted to the OHL, I didn't, you know, this, he, he, he was the first round pick, or first overall pick to the... OHL so like everybody knew who he was and I had no idea we get into the game me and the other goalie split and uh it's Tristan Jari or no Casey okay. Smith, Casey, DeSmith, Casey Smith. DeSmith, okay he was my goalie partner so he gets in I think we're down three to one at the time um and I go in on a, a penalty or yeah a penalty kill and I remember Taylor Hall sitting on the left side for a one tee snipes me on a one t, skates by our bench, and points at the back of his jersey, at his nameplate, <laughs> as he skates by our jersey, and that for me was, okay, this guy's, that's not know. the
1: Canadian way, that's not <laughs> the Canadian way, so, <laughs> uh but funny, yeah. I, we remember those, don't worry, I, I remember many times, you know, one t over my shoulder, or, you know, this goal, or that goal, or whatnot, so, uh, we we do tend to remember uh, a few moments, the good moments and the bad moments uh, as goaltenders for sure.
2: cully has got a pretty good snapshot of Toffoli, getting go one T on him on his Instagram account. That's pretty epic.
0: <laughs> Marty, have you ever played in the Ottawa 67's rink? The old, it's the old Sounders rink, no,
1: right? No, I, I never played in the Civic Center in Ottawa. I know where it is because playing in Hall, we were right across the street, right? So or across the river, so I know where it is. But I never played in that building. Uh, I played. When I was in juniors, the all-star game for the CHL was weird. It was if the all-star game was in Ontario, it was Team Ontario against a combination of the WHL and the Q. So, And if it was in Quebec, it was Team Quebec against the O and the WHL put together. So we played in Kitchener, the uh, all-star game, my, uh, my first year juniors. And I had the double zero. And I start the game. I've got double zero. I look down the ice. And there's Kevin Weeks, who was the Ottawa 67s goalie at the time. And he also has the double zero. I'm like, wait a second. I thought I was the only one and that was unique. There's this guy who was wearing number double zero and we're playing against (laughs) each other. Um, Never see that. But uh, and then so I kept uh, after that, I'm like, hey, I want to know who this guy is. So I kept following up on the 67s. And, you know, um, Coach Kiori and, and everything that, that had to do with that organization. So, And then going to Hall, i driven by the building. I've been in the building, but I never played there.
0: It was just unique because I, the, the one side of the stands goes yeah. way up, right? And the lights up there. I remember if, if there was a high dump into that side, looking up and, and losing it in the lights and, and just fun building to play in. And so was Kitchener. I played some of my best hockey. Yeah. This was something I wanted to ask you about. Us goalies, I feel like we have certain buildings that we have, for, for, for whatever reason, we just feel more comfortable in or less comfortable in, right? For whatever reason, I had some of my best games in Kitchener against some really good goalies, too. I remember going head-to-head against John Gibson, um, and just for whatever reason, having really strong games in that rink. Did any rink stick out to you in the Quebec League or the National League that, that you played really well in throughout your career? It's probably easier to answer this with the, the NHL because people know the ranks.
1: Uh, Colorado, I felt like I always played well in Colorado. I don't know why. It was one of those where you come in and you, you're you mentally psyching you out a little bit because, oh, it's high altitude. Your equipment's mm-hmm. going to hurt. Your skates are going to be too tight. Your helmet's going to be too tight. you are going to be winded. Uh, but somehow, maybe I psych myself so much that I, I never worried about the details of the game and I just played and I always played well in Colorado always played well in Anaheim against the Ducks mostly because Frank Allaire the goalie coach that was Patrick Waugh's goalie coach in Montreal through the 80s and 90s and he was uh, one of the the guy should be in the hall right, of in here, right? Francois, Allaire. Francois Allaire and then his brother Benoit who I had in New York but Francois Allaire was the goalie coach for the Anaheim Ducks so I knew Frank, and I would work with him in the summer. So every time we played Anaheim, I wanted to, like, show him. Like, I am the best. And, and I, you look on Hockey Reference, my stats against the Anaheim Ducks, I don't think I've ever lost to them. I think I have one overtime loss, and that's it. Like, I was unbelievable against that team. Now, on the flip side, the Civic Arena, the Mellon Arena in, in Pittsburgh, the Igloo, that was not good for me. The Continental Airlines Arena in the Meadowlands and uh, for the New Jersey Devils, eh, that was not good for me. So there were some buildings that I was like, man, eh, eh, you just get in the rink and it's like Denny Lemieux in shot. He goes, the air, it makes me sick. Like, it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Like, you just...
0: You cannot
1: cannot make a save in that building regardless of what it is. You'll be up 7 nothing, And sure enough, it's going to be 7-7 seven, seven by the end of the third period because you just can't do it. So, uh, so yeah, there's certain buildings like this that uh, uh, either the lighting, the angles, the, the corners, uh, you know, whatever it is. Some of them felt great. Some of them were awful. And you never know what the reason of, of it is. I love playing in the Coliseum and, and NASA County uh, against the Islanders. I had great success in that building. I don't know why the building is, was not an exciting building to play in. The lighting was awful. The The partition in the glass was awful. Uh, puck bounced everywhere. Oh, I, I love playing there. I don't know why, but it just happened that uh, I had success there as well.
0: Yeah. Good point. I'm happy you mentioned it too, because I just feel like non goalies might not have that, that their experience. Right. And for whatever reason for us, I, I think it's, it's something that a lot of goalies deal with. And um it's just interesting to hear, you know, what rinks that, that you you know you had success in. And uh, uh, what was it like then playing for the Islanders as, as, as a home team then? getting it, into- was,
1: it was fine. I mean, my year was the first year of John Tavares. So there was a sense of enthusiasm with John Tavares and Caliposo was there. And, and Matty Molson had a great year and he had uh, some, some young talent. Uh, we had a great captain in Doug Waite. Uh, he, was, he was fantastic. I love Dougie a great hockey man, great, great teammate. Um, It was a tough year. Uh, It was a three goalie circus. Uh, Dwayne Rolison, myself, and Rick DiPietro, we never knew if Rico was going to be healthy, not healthy. Oh my God. So, uh, but I'll tell you this in, in the group of guys that I've played with, you know, obviously the 05, 06, 06, 07 season uh, and, and the seasons leading up to it, you know, you saw it in a beyond blue and gold, like me, Danny, JP, Jay McKee, like we were tight. We played cards all the time. That team was really tight with, you know, Pommonville, Gostad, uh, Conley, uh, We, it was fantastic. It, it was just a tight team, but we had success. So it's easy when you have success to be a tight team and, and everybody wants to play for one another. The Islanders, we were bad. We were terrible, but we had an unbelievable group of guys. You know, I was really good friends with Bruno Gervais, and Jerve and was was a you know a defenseman, and and uh, he everybody loved him and he was great. I had a guy like Brendan Witt was on the team, Richard Park, John Sim. There were some veterans, there were some young guys and uh, Blake Como was there, um, Josh Bailey was there. There was it was a weird group of guys, but we were we were we were really tight. Mark Streit was there. Uh, somehow it worked we were terrible on the ice we didn't have the the pieces but man we were the best group of guys you can assemble for a bad team probably and that was that was good
2: yeah um now just like you know getting into your you know you know the start of your career with the sabers um i know we touched on this with steve shields too um what was it like coming in to the organization and you know, being the goalie partner of a guy like Dom? Because, like, you know, you don't have to ask – you know, anybody who knows me knows that, you know, I always always consider the guy the GOAT. Just his style of play can never be mimicked and, you know, what not. But what was that like for you just to come in and having to be the backup, you know, essentially for a guy like Dominic Hatch.
1: Well, I told you guys before I was going to tell you this funny story about Steve Shields and I. Because Steve Shields got called out from Rochester when all the goalies got injured in that 95-96 season. I got called up from juniors, you know, we show up for morning skate in Pittsburgh on December 26, 1995, you know, you're taking shots or whatnot, I had no idea what the routine of an NHL game day was like, so after practice, I don't even know if I'm staying at the rink all day, what am I doing, right, so they tell me, you got to go to the hotel, get a pregame meal, get a nap, show up to, to warm up that night, and the guys are in the three-line shooting, right, you, you got the, the three-line shooting to warm up the goalies. And he goes, Marty, go ahead. I'm like, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Go ahead. He goes, you're starting. Go ahead. I'm like, what? I'm starting? Like, <laughs> 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 you're telling me I'm going to play against Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Jager and those guys? So I go in the net. Like, That's
2: how you find I'm, out. I'm, I'm
1: sure they told me somehow the French Canadian kid and me and the excitement of being in the NHL and everything that was going. I did not process it. Uh, but Shilze was like, you go like I'm not going. Like it's your game, bud. Like go ahead. So, so that was kind of funny that that moment between Shieldsy and I. Uh, and then later that year, they uh, they well a week later they signed up John Blue and then Shieldsy went back to Rochester. They ended up winning a Calder Cup. He was on fire yep. in the playoffs and really that set him up to be the backup to Dom and then play some really good years in San Jose and Boston and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being the backup to Hashek was was really cool and a really unique experience. I remember my very first preseason game in the the, the fall of '95. We're playing the St. Louis Blues at the Odd in Buffalo, and I am like getting dressed like right away. I got in the locker room. I'm getting dressed. There's still a half an hour before you know warm up, and I'm fully dressed. I'm like, are you ready to go? And there's like 15 minutes left before we go on the ice for warm up, and Dom walks in to the locker room he's still in his gitch like in his t-shirts and long pants and he's got weight around his ankles and he's laying on his back and he's doing splits and he's doing leg raises and he's doing core exercises i'm looking at the clock i'm like there's 10 minutes left we gotta be on the ice in 10 minutes i'm fully dressed this guy's just you know relaxing and doing stretching on the ice and then he got dressed in like eight minutes and he got on the ice nobody could score on him in warm up nobody could score on him in the game it was a preseason game, and when they took them out halfway into the game to put me in, the fans gave him a standing ovation, a preseason game. And <laughs> I'm going in, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Like, this is not where I should be. One of the first, Veronica. I know. One of the first shots I faced was, I believe it was Chris Bronger from the far blue line. He took a hard slap shot, and it skipped a couple times on the ice. And I went butterfly, and it triggered like it, it – Toggled between my knees and just streaked like, streaked sh- behind me a little bit. And I caught it, like, before it went into the net. But I remember, like, oh, my goodness. Hashik was in the net making saves on his head. And now <laughs> I'm in there almost giving up a goal from the far blue line, right? So it, mm-hmm. was, it was unique. Uh, but once, once you got into a, a circle of thrust, maybe, and, and he got to know you and you got to know him, uh, he was fantastic. Um, you know, he had his little quirky things and people would talk about it. Like he had his nail clippers on the walls and you couldn't touch those. And he had his, his things in his stalls. And I really, I had his stalls for two months, the year that he was hurt, the, you know, the 99, 2000 season, I sat in a stall and I'm like, I'm not touching anything. There's pictures of him, pictures of his kids, pictures of whatever. I'm not touching anything. I, I'm like solely leasing the the, the eight square feet. Right. And that's about it. Right. And, um, and I think he appreciated that. He appreciated I was a kid. I came in, I wasn't going to, you know, throw my stuff around and be like, Hey, move out of the Mm -hmm. way I'm coming in that I was respectful of that, respectful of him. Uh, And uh, then he kind of, you know, accepted that I was, you know, part of the team. We developed a a pretty good relationship. Uh, And even to this day, when he comes back in town, he comes and see me. He's like, ah, buddy. And he gives me a big hug. And, you know, he, he wants to know about what I've been doing and he's, he's great. So um, yeah. he was very, very nice to me. Uh, I love working with him on the ice because he was a hard worker. Um, you know, I think that the number one thing I took out of Hasek and I took out of Miller and I took out of Lundqvist is that those were probably the three best goalies that I've ever played with. You know, they all three won the Vesna Trophy. They were all at the top of their league. Hardest working guy on every team I played. Like, Hashek, you couldn't get him off the ice. He wanted to stay. Miller, you know, the guy was 160 pounds and frail looking at times. And we were like, Millsy, get off the ice. Like, to stop taking shots. And he was working on his game. Lundqvist was the same thing. And Lundqvist used to say to guys, you know, shoot at my head. I don't care. Like you try to score and you won't be able to score, and those guys were phenomenal. So you know, I think it started with Hashek and then I was like, well, this is normal. This is the, the normal way of a goalie in the National Hockey League if you want success. You have to be the hardest working guy on the ice, uh, and he was, and it was fantastic.
2: Yeah, I uh, I used to hear stories about how in practice, like his practice habits and whatnot, and that uh, he used to get upset during practice sometimes and you let one goal, and he'd throw his stick in the stands or he get really irritated. And then, like, there were other stories I heard that, like, you know, he wouldn't let a puck in all practice. And then sure. players on the team would be taking bets on, you know, if he let how many how many he let in that day or whatever.
1: I, I remember guys would say, like, at the start of a drill, uh, guys, uh, if you want to build your confidence, Marty's way. Uh, if you don't care, go down <laughs> to dumb side. Like, that's what it looks. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a story that came out, and, and Curtis Brown did a great job explaining the story for an article on, on, on com, but it was about a practice where Brownie scored on a breakaway and celebrated in the corner and got off the ice. And Dom was so mad, he went into the locker room and grabbed him and said, come back out on the ice. And then Curtis had literally 50 breakaways, and Dom did not let him score on one of them. 50 didn't let him score on one of them. That is, that is the competitive level that was – Uh, unbelievable espn used to show games on tv and it's a starting goal for the buffalo Sabres, dominic ashek who made 37 saves on 37 shots in warm-up like warm-up like you're counting the shots and the saves in warm-up but that's who he was that's what it was competitive nature absolutely like i
2: i said like i said like you're um and not just not just the the athlete itself but i've i've said this a couple times um just the person, uh, but the human being himself, and I think you, you, you too as well, because um, you may not remember. There have been a couple times I've seen you out in public, and I've said hi and and whatnot back in the day. And you, uh, um, we lost your screen, but you're still there. I can sorry. still hear you. Okay, I apologize. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on. Uh, screen screen must see must see must yeah. see, must see, see, yeah Gosh, yeah one be. second I don't know why I got a, a worst time to phone call there we go sorry guys yeah. but uh what I was what I was getting yeah the Adelphia <laughs> that, that's funny <laughs> um but uh what I was getting at was um just the human being in general I'm like I've seen you out in pub before and it's not that hard to strike up a conversation with you at least back then and um same thing with dom uh when i was a kid i don't know if you were part of these dinners um they used to do them basically the samuel l grand manor uh where yeah. me and my dad we had club level seats uh we sat at the 200 level my dad you know, on the blue line where the sabers shoot twice and we was invited anybody these dinners where you could like you know dine with the team and you know if you paid a little bit more money you could sit at the same table as a player well i remember um as a kid you know um probably right before on the same age of that story i told you about uh, you know, before the interview, yep. um, where, uh, I had my Jersey on, I had, uh, I, my dad bought me one of this pro stock Bauer reactor sticks and I had a few cards in my hand. I was, I was pumped to meet him and his line was like out the friggin' door, Marty. And it's like, and security's like, no, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, no, not till after dinner, you know, let, let him eat first. And like, I'm mm-hmm. like 11, maybe, I don't know how old I was. I threw like, I'm like a hissy fit. But I was like, Oh, come on. <laughs> and Dom sees me waves me over and literally signs everything I have in front of everybody it blew me away. And um it was just wild. Um because like, you know, I never really had an experience like that with, with a player, like a personal experience to share with other people like I am now. And that's what made me kind of fall in love with this team. Just experiences like that and just the human being he was, especially towards kids. And I remember leaving, <laughs> leaving and I tried to get one more autograph. <laughs> he goes no, no, no. I signed too much for you. I signed too much for you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. And
1: this is why, like, this time, you know, through this pandemic and the time off that we've had, um, you know, I've been able to, to connect with some people and, and do podcasts yep. or interviews or just, you know, uh, because you can't I, – I love to go to the grocery store and just talking to people. People ask me questions. Yeah. I talk to them. I, I go for milk. I'm there for an hour, right? And it, that's the way it is. And And so – but when I was a kid, I remember to go to an open practice in Quebec City. And then Robbie Fatorik played for the Nordiques. He later coached the Bruins. And, um, but he spotted me in the crowd. I was maybe four or five years old. And he was like, baby, baby, come down. My dad didn't speak any English. So he kind of brought me down to the glass. And Robbie Fatorik gave me a puck. So the whole practice, right, open practice, I'm looking at the puck. After practice, the players were signing autographs. But you needed a special ticket for it. I didn't have a special ticket, so we kind of just walked by. And Robbie Fittorek looked over and was like, "Hey, baby, come here, come here." <laughs> my dad's like us, and security's like, "No, no, no." And he's like, "Come on, come here." So then he brought me in and took pictures, and then he gave me a stick. And uh, I still—that's still, so cool. It's in the photo album. Unfortunately, um, I don't have the stick or the puck anymore because there was a situation where my dad used a stick in men's hockey and scored a couple of goals and thought it was really good and later broke it but that's all right he scored his goals with it so that was that was good he won a championship in beer league so that was all good but I I still have the pictures and I look at it and I'm like and as as a as a professional athlete I always like remembered that I always remembered you know some of the professional athletes or personality that I I maybe have met as a kid and you know gave me that time and I saw some of the guys like do a fantastic job with fans uh, and I always wanted to be able to do that so you know that's that's one of the things that uh, I I think is is good for the game is good for the community especially here in Buffalo where we live and the 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 smaller community but the very embracing uh, arms wide open type of community so um, so, I always remember that. So, this story is great that you tell and share about Dumb because the mm-hmm. opposite has been shared so many times where Dumb wouldn't sign autographs and, you know, there were some some moments where it was a little more uh, difficult. So, uh, it, it's great to to share those as well.
2: Mm-hmm. I, know, uh, I know I've know told that story to Cully uh, many times, man, and just like a really like a proud moment of mine. Like, you know, if I ever hear, you know, you always used to hear the, the stupid stories like, Oh, Hashik faked injuries and stuff like that. And he was a diva. Was like you guys don't even know, man. Like I have, I have a couple stories like that. And like you guys spoke about how you were proud to put on team Canada jersey and how proud Johnny was to put on um, the team USA. I never really had a moments like that in my playing career, but the proudest I was, was having the opportunity to coach for his foundation be able to slip on that that hashex track jacket and then being on the ice with him for once like this guy is like my hero you know i've met him i've met him at least i'd say 20 to 30 times over the course of my life and actually being able to be on the ice with him and talk to him that was so cool for me and i think that's probably the closest equivalent i'll ever have to what you guys had you know in your playing careers for sure well
1: i like i said to you uh, you know, walking up to Peter Stastny, uh was one of those things that I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm talking to Peter stasny right? Um, so, and it just, it, it's just sometimes you get starstruck. Sometimes you, 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 you walk the other direction, but I mean, most of them, and I would say 99% of them are, are always really welcoming and, and love the fan interaction. And they, uh, they love, uh, uh, you know, being able to spend a minute or two and sign
0: autograph and take pictures and, and that's part of the job. Yeah. Marty, that's something I feel that you've done a tremendous job of. And not to pump your tires too much, but Buffalo loves you. Western New York has embraced you. And, and you know, you, it's it's partly because of the way you play it and partly because of the way that you're so approachable. And I love that anecdote about how you go to the grocery store and you're there for an hour. That's just the type of guy you are. And I love that about you. And that's, I think, why Buffalo's embraced you. Um, I wanted to – my, my
1: family doesn't love
0: it because they're waiting for milk while I'm out there talking to people, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Hurry up, Dad. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Kali, Kali. Food's going to be cold.
2: Callie, said, said it best, man. You don't get that with players these days, man. You're, it's so hard to approach Well, it is, days,
1: It's then. different, too. I mean, you have to understand that, you know, there's different generation. There's different type of players. There's different – um you know things as well uh, you know we didn't have social media back in the days and that's a that's a whole other thing uh you know mm-hmm. back in back the generation before me I, I heard the stories of of guys uh keeping sticks in the back of the trunk of their cars and they would drive home from practice and if they saw kids playing street hockey they'd pull over pull over pick up the sticks from the trunk and play street hockey with the kids in the middle of the road just for 15 20 minutes i mean that you know, obviously different generations uh, have different challenges and, and different ways of uh, interacting. Um, it's 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 not the same, but I, I do believe that uh, um, in at their core, 99% of the guys in, in pro sports and especially the NHL, um, they are willing and, and, and able to engage with the fans and you know, sometimes you'll catch them on a bad day. You lose a game and you're not happy. Well, it's a tougher, tougher, uh, tougher night to catch them. But most often they, they, uh, they're respectful. And, uh, and, and so also the area, I can remember a story. I was at Jack Astor's at the Galleria Mall and I'm having dinner and at the corner boot as Doug Flutie with his wife and his son and his son was autistic. And, um, you know, they're having dinner and obviously you you don't want to go up to a guy during dinner and interrupt their dinner He's with his family. And, but Mm -hmm. I saw so many people saying like, uh, when he, when he walks out, like I'm going to ask for an autograph and, and waiting until he was done with his dinner and his family time. And then as he left the restaurant, there was a few people waiting outside for autographs and pictures. Uh, but people are so respectful here. Uh, usually. So that's, that's one big thing that, uh, that makes the relationship between players and fans, um, so good as is, is because of how you know vice versa is treating each other.
2: Yeah. Uh Kali, you were uh, you were gonna make a uh, a point.
0: Well I w- I just wanted to know you, you mentioned it briefly uh, about the that oh six oh seven team. Um probably like my fondest memory uh because I was fourteen, fifteen sixteen at the time, you know, getting into that level, watching you and Millsy and as I got really lucky, you know, same way as Dwayne watching Hashik. We were spoiled to have these awesome goalie mentors in your yeah, yourself, we were, and Hasek and Shieldsy, and um, I just I remember that. Um, so I mean, I guess what was that experience like? Uh, any anything you can show tell us from behind the scenes that on that run, and um, like you mentioned, how that 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 group was so tight. Uh, it was really cool to hear. Um,
1: yeah, the 05-06 was a unique year, uh, you know, and we, we, we played a lot of the Sabres Classic in, in the uh, uh, during the pause, and, and it's funny, sometimes you look at the start of the season, the uh, building was not full, and the energy was not the same, and then all of a sudden, the fans just realized, like, you know, we're coming off of a lockout, we're coming off of an uh, ownership change, we're coming off of a, uh, you know, a seasons where, I think it was three seasons where we didn't make the playoffs, so... It was different. And then all of a sudden, like, we took the the, the, uh, the stage by storm. I mean, we had some you great did. players. And then you talk about Breer and Drury. And we had guys like Mike Greer. And Palmanville was not even up yet. He was in Rochester. And he got called up. And, you know, Millsy started playing out of his mind. All of a sudden, I came in because he had the injury. And I built on that success. Um, it was It was really, really special to know that at the start of the season, it was kind of an unknown like what's going to happen this year we missed a whole season because of a lockout a you know collective bargaining uh, agreement fiasco and then now we move on to a year later and you know what are the fans going to going to feel like having us come on the ice and and we better step it up and we uh, step it up and better perform and in the playoffs like you know six short months later it's craziness. It's people out in the plaza. It's you know changing. Welcome to Buffalo with a big sign of Pominville. It's you know banners on the 33 going downtown. It's so we we talked about it a lot as players how great it felt and how supportive it felt and how you know we we embraced that energy and and when we beat you know Philly in the first round. Uh, you know, flying back from Philadelphia, we could feel that energy. When we beat Ottawa in the second round, flying back from Ottawa, we could feel that energy. Game six against Carolina, the building was the loudest I've ever heard it, and it was shaking. And everybody's talk about it. We, walls were shake, like, walls were shaking. So walls shaking. obviously, the the group uh, was uh, you know almost a mirror of the of the fan bases. We were uh, I don't want to say young and naive. But we, uh, we had that indestructible industri- uh, kind of feeling to uh, to the team, indestructible feeling to the team. And I think the fans had that too. And it was, it, was, it was perfect.
2: Yeah, it's insane how good that team was, man. You were built for the rule changes of the NHL. You, hey, and whenever we got to that. OT, it was four
1: on four OT. Whenever Over. I got to OT as a goalie, I was like, we're winning. And then all of a sudden, like, we would draw a penalty in overtime because we were so quick and we moved the puck so well. Like, I could, I could just, you know, loosen up my mask and loosen up my glove because we're going to win. Like, that is the feeling we had on that team. We knew. And it's not that we didn't have some, some challenges along the way. We had, a, you know, a couple of tough period of the, the season. But the mentality that we're going to overcome that. If it's not tomorrow, it'll be the next day. We're going to overcome it. Uh, was really really strong with that team.
0: Yeah, All he, the it, it's, it's, I've ever been on, there's moments of like adversity early on that you know, and you mentioned that you, you kind of have a feeling that you'll get through it, and it's cool to to hear. Uh, and another part, Dwayne, how good is it here for you to hear? About uh the players recognizing that uh the support from the city, you know what I mean like that brings yep. back much good memories to know that you guys recognize that you saw the banners on the thirty three like that to me is fucking awesome, and I love that. Yeah. That's what Buffett is and it should be. And I can't wait for the next generation of Sabres fans to experience what we got to experience, what you lived through, Marty,
2: um, as a player here. He's trying, to te- he's trying to tee me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying really hard to tee me up right now. <laughs> no
0: comment. No comment. Um, I, just, I just would love to, you know, I, I, I it, it's going to be fun for the next generation of Sabres fans to experience that. That's, I'm going to leave it at uh, that.
1: Yeah, no. And, 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 Listen, uh, the way that, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we have a group, a chat, a group chat of, of that, you know, that season or the players from, from those seasons. And, uh, and it feels like sometimes when you fire up a group text, it's, it's like it was yesterday in the locker room. Yeah. right? Uh, you know, like a guy like Brian Campbell, uh, will will throw a jab at somebody and then it's gonna soupy. be the wrath of the wrath of the rest of the team gonna be like ganging up and and going after soupy right and and <laughs> uh, and some of the guys so and that's how it was in the locker room and it was fun it was uh it, it was uh, great to go to the rank every day. Now let me tell you there there was some days where we, we had you know it was tough and and, and that's the way it is. I, I remember you know when milsey came back from his injury and he was going to be getting the start in Philadelphia. And I was, you know, I had just won 13 in a row. And all of a sudden, I was I'm not like getting the start off. in Philly. I'm like, like I want to play. Like, give me that start. <laughs> like, but, and you show up to the rink in the morning. And you're like, I'm angry. I, I want to play. But you, it, was, it was coming from a really good place. Like there was some mm-hmm. some, some competitiveness. anger, but it was, it was competitiveness. It was coming from a yep. great place. So, you know, I mean, it's easier to do that when you're winning, obviously. But, uh, you know, but that's, that's how athletes I think are wired and that's okay.
2: Do you remember that video you guys did? it was You were in it, but it was mostly based around Roy and Petey. Uh, Petey finding a place for himself on the team. And, yeah, you uh, shrunk, uh, shrunk my jersey. <laughs> I shrunk your jersey. Yeah, like, that that's a stuff, great video. Like, Johnny touches that, man. That stuff was so cool, man, to see just not just in the media, like just, a, in the media, just like just, uh, the ability to get closer with the team, just have laughs while you're winning games, man. That was so cool. And I remember when Soupy was the, the, the centerpiece, the deadline, when he was traded, and the city was in an unrest about it. And there was uh, a lot of rumors about – uh, fans and bringing cans of Campbell's soup and leaving them at the, ga- the gates when you, uh, you got your skit ticket scanned. Like, it was just such so, a cool time to be in those times, man. And when it's, I got we traded few- to
1: Philly, um, so the Sabres came in to play us in Philadelphia, the last game of the season. And Adam Benini at Channel 2 came up to Philly to interview me the day before the game or the morning of or, or some sort. And uh, we sat down in one of the locker rooms and it was a one-on-one, you know, like lights and, you know, like the room is dark and it's very intimate. And he first started by saying, Marty, when you got traded, we asked fans, uh, you know, I don't even know if he asked fans, but he goes, we got flooded with emails, people emailing the station say, please, if you see Marty, give him this message of encouragement. Thank you. And all of that. And the thing was literally like this thick. He handed me like a book awesome. with all these emails that people send the station. And, and it was fantastic. And that's, that's, what, that's what Buffalo is. That's what the fans yeah. are. And that's what this community is. And I, I, I live here now and I've lived there for 22 years. Um, and, I, and, and I'm never going to leave because that is the, 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 the people that make this community and we very, uh, very, they embrace me and they opened their arms yeah. and, and I, I don't have those emails and I don't know what they did maybe in the move because I moved so many times that they went by the wayside, but I just wish I had that, that stack of emails again. But that picture of Adam giving me those emails, um, and me getting choked up, uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday.
2: I remember Marty, uh, back, remember when that, that book they came out with, I forget the photographer's name, but it was called Sabres in Motion. It was like a black yes. and white photo book. Yes. Okay. I remember I was sitting outside, again, then Pepsi center with uh, my then girlfriend and we were just waiting for, cause you guys were practicing there that day and, uh, to get August. guys right after the trade deadline, you had been traded, um, in, and, and Ty Conklin came in, right. And yep. Ty walks in and he's wearing his Red Sox hat, you know, uh whatnot and um one of the things he walked with like a lot of swagger too a like, cocky type of swagger and he walks up and i'm like you know can you sign because was no picture yeah there, so i had him sign the back of it and he goes oh are you gonna sell this on ebay and immediately i was like fuck this guy <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> fuck this guy <laughs> He's Like, wow. this guy is no marty Varan." but this guy i don't like him i hope he loses every game he goes in that I, like, I, I just dis- immediately disliked him because he just did not get it. Like, I wasn't there to sell stuff, man. I was there because I wanted to meet you and get your autograph.
1: Like You know what my dad. dad told me one time when you you talk about this? And, and it, it, again, my dad was a construction worker, worked two, three jobs just to afford my goalie equipment, and we never took vacations because our only time in vacation, the time he could take away from from, from work or the money that we had was to go – on hockey tournaments for one weekend or two weekends or baseball tournaments in the summer. That's all we did. But, you know, my dad, you know, saw people asking for autographs and he goes, Oh, this is nice. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure some people sell them. Some people collect them. And so my dad goes, yeah, but the the guy that sells them, listen, he's not going to make a ton of money off of an autograph card, but maybe there's a kid in you know, Saskatchewan that, that can't get to an NHL rink and there's no, and maybe he's going to see that card and he's a fan of yours or a fan of somebody else. And he's going to pay five bucks for the card and that's going to be something memorable for him. Right. And I remember thinking, well, oh, I never thought of it that way. Like I, I don't think that the person itself was going to go out and make bank by selling trading cards on eBay, but maybe that allows somebody that don't have that access to be able to have a souvenir and hang it on his wall and have add that to their, to their collection. Just like when I grew up in Quebec city, we didn't have NFL. The closest MLB team was in Montreal, the Expos. And maybe we went to one or two games a year. Uh, You know, there was no NBA. So if I wanted to have a Michael Jordan sign something in the eighties, I probably would have had to order it by mail from somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, he said that and it, it, it stuck with me. Uh, when it comes to sign Now, I won't lie to you. Some areas you go and there's guys that have a hundred pictures and they hit you and you got to And at one point, you got to say, okay, like I, I, I got other people and I got to do something. So you got to kind of put a stop to it. But usually, um, again, you know, you, you cast a wide net over the, the people that, that go and get autographs signed they're all doing a fantastic job and uh, very respectful. And I always thought that maybe somebody somewhere was going to benefit from that. And uh, maybe it's a kid. And that's why I, did, I, that's why I did it. And that's why a lot of people do it now.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, man, that, that like for me, and um, like I said, Kali was trying to team me up earlier about it and um, you know, my, my love, for this team started at a very early age you know with hockey cards uh my first sabers card i ever got was brad may you know uh, so immediately first sabers card fair player, player brad may right away and then um i started to hear different stories about guys like pat lafontaine and how good he was with the community and people in general and just i actually had the opportunity to meet him at one of his book signings when uh, he wrote a book called companions and courage um, highly recommend it to anybody who is a reader. It's a really short, easy read, but it's a very good book. Um, and I got to meet him there. And at the time my cousin was uh, you know, fighting his battle with cancer. And uh, you know, we were at the Walden Galleria Mall, and you know, my dad told him the story about my cousin, and Pei was like, Well, let me talk to him. And my dad's like, let me talk to like well, you know, put him on the get him on the phone? Mm-hmm. book signing luckily my dad had a cell phone because back then they they weren't as common as they are today my dad calls my cousin who's laying in bed just in his bedroom you know um you know going through the the strains of cancer and he gets a phone call from a guy who's he's got a picture of on his wall no lie him and will and talk to pat talk to my cousin for like 10 minutes it was insane and just just these 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 experiences we we I touched on it with you the Sabres carnival just I I I vaguely remember Derek Plant maybe even being in a dunk tank or something like that it was such a long time ago and yeah racing RC cars and like you know and just I you know I I look at kind of like the way things are today in the current state of the team and I'm not saying that that's not all there but you know I like Colly said the the, the, fan, the, the fans kind of just don't know what it's like yet. To, to not, the, the, the saying is winning solves everything. And, but just from a, my perspective, um, that's not even how I fell in love with the team. Yeah, winning definitely helped. But just all these personal experiences I got to have with players and just, you know, I was, that I was fortunate enough to have. Uh, you, know, you know, ownership at the time did like things like the Sabres Carnival, the Street Hockey Fest things of that nature, and it it just, it kind of upsets me these days, seeing that that's not as prevalent today as it was back then, and I mean, would you, could you see maybe ownership, maybe taking a turn like that, maybe, point. I mean, I know you can't speak for ownership, but maybe just to improve after everything that's gone over the past year, or more or less six months, um, would you, could you see maybe something like that, maybe going in that direction to see how much the demand is for something like that? Because I'll tell you
1: this, I, I can tell you that I see it every day and, and there's so many things that are, are not even um, put out there in the public because players do so many things on their own and they keep it private. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that's also something that I do sometimes um, you know, I don't take it to Twitter or Instagram because yeah. there's a special relationship that I have with somebody at, you know, Roswell or somebody through different organization that I've I've had a chance to associate in myself over the years. Um, in the 2012-2013 season, which was a lockout season, and I was playing for the New York Rangers at the time, but living here in Buffalo, uh, Jordan Leopold. Th- decided to arrange a hospital visit at Christmas, just like the Sabres would always do. Well, that mm-hmm. wasn't broadcasted to the world. And he set it up with his wife and called a few guys from around the town, like Thomas Bannock and Cody McCormick and me from a different team. And, and we went and, and visited uh, you know, at the That's time it cool. was Children's Hospital. Um, and, and there's many things like that, that, that is being done um, around, around town, around the community. From you know alumni and current players and, and coaches and whatnot and the organization that I've seen it and I see it every day uh, from you know the bald for box campaign that we do and and uh, the player and the organization being so open to uh, to be willing to help and willing to have the meet and greets and willing to uh, you know to donate their time and uh, before games after games it, it is amazing and and I think. You know, I played for the Philadelphia Flyers. I played for the New York Rangers, the New York Islanders. I mean, those are big cities, and I think in big cities, it's almost harder to have that connection with the mm-hmm. community and the fans because it gets drowned. It it gets lost in all the noise, right? That that it is uh, around town. Uh, but here in Buffalo, I I see it all the time. Um, you know, I see it in. Uh, uh, in just the conversation that we had i i you know morning skate there's there's people around that uh, that have access to the locker room and can talk to the players it It just happens so many times and and obviously I think that there is certain things that are are great for social media and they're great to be broadcasting to the world like hey, this is happening and we're doing this and that but I do believe that there's a side of it that has to remain private, that has to remain mm-hmm. special, and that is 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 better that way. I don't want to do something just because I'm gonna put it on the internet or on Twitter and for the world to see, hey, oh Marty's a great guy. Look at him, he's talking to these people, he's doing yeah. this, he's doing that. There's a lot of time that I, I I wanna keep it private. I wanna just send a private text mm-hmm. message and send, hey, happy birthday. I'm thinking of you or oh, congratulations you've, you know, been able to complete all your treatments. I hope you're staying healthy. Keep me posted. I've grown those relationships and I know that there's a ton of the players and a ton of people in the organization that have grown those relationships as well. Um, I think that's important. I think that's really important to continue and and they do an amazing job. So, um, you know, I I mean, I wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't true because it is important to me. It's important to everybody. uh, And, and it is true and it's, it's happening. And, um, and it's going to continue to happen because I know these 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 guys are uh, are, are are true pro and and they love uh, being able to do it.
0: That's yeah, incredible and- to hear, man. That really is. It, it it reminds you that it's bigger than just a game. And I hate to use cliches like that, but it really is. And and I just want to say on on behalf of the community, I we appreciate you, Mari. I'll give you an example. Like uh, you know, you guys all know.
1: A guy like Nathan Beaulieu was here for very little time mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and he, you know, obviously took his, his licks, uh, you know, with, with being criticized with just play or not. And sometimes he had good games, sometimes he had bad games. But, but he developed so many, uh, you know, good relationship with, with some of the cancer patients to the point where when he went to Winnipeg and they came back in town. He got tickets for a few of them and met them after the game. And, and he, he never lost that. And and this is not something that's going to be broadcast. And he, he probably be like saying like, oh, Marty, why are you saying that? Like, you know, but at the same time, like it, it happened. And, Mm -hmm. and you know, nobody knows. And that's, that's fine. The people that know feel special. And, and that is what is important. Uh, And so those things happen all the time. And, and they keep happening um, and, and every day. And that's, that's what's so good about it.
2: I know Cully has a really good Kobe story. I don't know if you want to tell that one. I know you've told it before, Cully, but uh, the Kobe Bryant story, kind of piggybacking off what he said with the hospital visits.
0: Oh, about, yeah, and, and, and it's perfect, Marty, because it's, it's exactly what you're talking about, how there was, um, it came out shortly after his death. There was a, a young cancer patient in Arizona and uh, Kobe, uh, they asked if, if Kobe could sign something, something very small. Right. And when Kobe found out, um, I think he, he went above and beyond. He took him to the game, um, you know, spent time with him after, you know, kept this relationship going up until his death and all under the all under the guise that nobody find out. Right, and the, every time that they come to Arizona, the Lakers come to Arizona. Tickets, dinner, whatever, but nobody knows, right? And um, to, to hear that that's what's going on in our organization is is awesome. And, well, it,
1: it doesn't. It happens in, in all organizations, and and obviously, you know, you can go around the National Hockey League, and and there is some of these special relationship in in, uh, uh, in Montreal, in Toronto, and Vancouver, in South Florida, in California, whatever. Uh, you know, sometimes some guys like to use their platforms to share it. I, I think of a guy like P.K. Subban in Montreal, love to be able to share it. And he did some great stuff with children hospital and, and donations. Uh, some guys are more private and they like to keep it that way. And, and that's, that's good too. I mean, it, it, I always say, and again, you know, my dad always says, uh, You know, he goes, when I leave this world, I hope I, uh, I, I left it a better place or I made a better impact uh, you know, he's not a professional athlete and he's not on social media. He doesn't even have Facebook. Uh, but I mean, for him, that's the goal is that you want to leave your, your legacy is that you, you made a positive impact in, in one person's life, maybe multiple people's life, but at least in one. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, that always sticks with me.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think PK takes a lot of shit and he shouldn't, man, because he is a really good guy at heart. And, uh, you see a lot of the stuff he does. You, like you said, he broadcasts it on social media. But it's a, those are nice, feel-good stories to have, unlike the uh, feel-good story that Jonathan Cullen has about P.K. Subban from his career in the OHL.
0: <laughs> Did he score on you a few times? Marty, the ice in Belleville was Olympic size, right? Yeah, I remember that. Oh, man. And so, P.K. just uh, coming down the wing. My angles were off. Uh, safe to say that uh, – P.K. probably was a plus five that night, and he has probably been <laughs> five games against me. But even still, Dwayne, I'm happy you brought that up because as much as I hate the guy for, for embarrassing me and probably losing me uh, some, some draft status that year in my draft year, he made the community a better place. And he mm-hmm. takes a lot no, of no. shit that he shouldn't because he is a good ambassador for the game. And we need more of that, not less. We need to grow the game and and not not shrink it and there's there's some people that that love to hate and I don't get it because he's making the the game better and making more fans not less absolutely
1: and that's uh you know that's uh that's that's what it's all about so uh yeah that's awesome and and I I know the rank in Belleville I never played there but I know Daniel Cleary played in Belleville and they used to say he'd only got those points and because he used to play on the big ice and he used to have all the room to roam. Um, so uh, now they've got the uh, AHL team in Belleville with the, uh, the Belleville senators. So different. I don't know if they play on the big ring still or if they got a new I don't ring. Either.
0: I think it's a shame though, because Belleville was such a cool OHL city, you know, Small it's a cool city.
1: town now. And for Ottawa, it's a lot easier because they can call guys up and down and be like Rochester, Buffalo. Right. So, yeah. um, so, well, Whatever that that
0: happens, (laughs) this podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. It will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show.
2: And you know, piggybacking off that with PK, obviously, you know, the report came out today about you know that coalition of you know black uh, NHL players, three of which, two of which are former Sabres, one of which is a currently a Saber with Wayne Simmons. Um, I just it's it's so nice to see action being taken at a hockey level. At the NHL level, well, actually, no, it's not even directly affiliated with the NHL. But I'm, I'm I, I, I maybe I shouldn't, or I should assume that they will have interaction with the NHL. And just your feelings on that, Marty, the steps being taken with with what's currently going on in the world, most mostly in this country, with you know Black Lives Matter, and just you know bringing more awareness to you know police brutality, and you know bringing an end to it, you know, which is what we all want. And I spoke on this on my own Twitter account earlier this week. And, and have like a 15-minute video of my feelings on it and just I wish you know I wish like hell at least you know not even from an NHL level but from an, you know just a, the NFL level it would have been taken more seriously four years ago but it's good to finally see it happening now and just the steps being taken not not just at a sports level but hopefully at a government level to you know rid rid this country and maybe someday the world of racism
1: yeah i mean obviously uh you know I, I grew up in quebec city and and when I grew up it was a a completely different uh you know landscape and 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 what we um have now and uh you know so it was it was very much different and i am learning i'm educating myself as to what the issues are and uh, and and how history uh has played a role into Uh, what we are facing today Um, the one thing that I I will say is that um, you know I I love Buffalo and I love our city of Buffalo and I I don't want to see our, our city um, seen in a bad light and and that was unfortunate the other night, but at the same time, I think that as a as a group of individuals as a community, uh, we can definitely come together and and be better and make our community better because you can think of the country, you can think of the world, but what you have to do first, you have to take care of your home and your community, and I think that 's what we have to do, and then you grow and you grow and you grow and you grow and you impact many different ways so uh, um, that's the that's the one thing that is uh, uh, very hard to see is that you know maybe Buffalo was not seen in the best light, uh, but I know that we have a, a great community, a lot of really good people here in Buffalo that uh, that are willing to make the world better, and uh, and I I and I and I think it's going to happen, and I think our it's going to start here in Buffalo. We have to start here and and move on, and and everybody else in their own region have to do the same. So, uh, that's
0: really important. Marty, you up one important point that I just wanted to re reiterate to everybody listening and it's to educate yourself and, and, and just about the history of, of the oppression of, of, of black people and African-Americans. And that's something that I, I did myself and I'm trying to do more of, um, and I encourage everybody to do it, uh, whether it's, you know, reading, whether it's, you know, interacting with your neighbors and your community members, whether it's watching a documentary, um, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, educate yourself on, on the process and, and the oppression that has gone on in this country for way too long and be a part of it in your own community. Like you guys said, couldn't have said it better myself, because if you don't do it in your own backyard, it's not going to happen, you know, across the country. So it starts here. It starts now. It starts with you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And, and you know what? Hockey is a stage uh, to be able to reach a lot of people. Uh, sports in general is a stage to be able to reach a lot of people. So, um, you know, and that's why I think you're seeing, you know, a lot of, uh, of players and a lot of teams and leagues as a whole, um, joining in to be able to, uh, to make, you know, the world a better place. And that's the goal in the end. That's what we all want to do when it comes to, you know, supporting as we mentioned before, uh, cancer patients and different groups and different charities and, 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 and we all want to make the world better. And that's obviously one of the things that, that we can do as a, uh, as a community. Um, and that's, that's what we try to do. So,
2: yeah. And, you know, over the last two weeks, you know, you know, I've always said, and I've been saying this for years, um, We'll never be able to walk a day in their shoes. It doesn't matter what background they come from, whether it's a wealthy background or an impoverished background. I'll never, none of us will ever be able to walk a day in their shoes, know what it's like to live in the day of a black man or woman. And um, I have, I have a, a couple of friends. Uh, one who's also a goalie, Brandon Green, um, and then my cousin Dante Lang, who, and down in Florida, he actually plays for the Florida Gators. He's uh, tight end, and um, I, I made sure I called them over the past. Two weeks just to see how they were feeling and how they were handling with all this, and just like you know, it almost brings—not almost—it brings me to tears thinking that you know what they go through on a daily basis and how it's now it's put more into a spotlight over the last you know couple of weeks, and just it, but it's also like we said a bright you know a very good thing to see that you know that, like Roger Goodell came out and said we made a mistake four years ago we should have taken this seriously to hear a guy of that stature admit fault and then willing to take the steps forward to correct those faults is huge in my eyes. It's huge because, you know, when, 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 when the black at NFL players, most specifically Colin Kaepernick took a knee four years ago, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people in this country kind of nailed him to the cross and made his narrative something. It wasn't. And to see the very head of the NFL come out, you know recently and say that was a mistake we need to be we need to do good by by you know our, the african-americans that play in the nfl and he even said if it wasn't for african because the nfl wouldn't even exist you know and you know showed his appreciation for that so just to see the steps being taken you know as you know as cully said too just it's such a breath of fresh air and let's just hope the wheels keep turning with this and then we can just move forward and you know, not have to watch the news every night and see what's going on in the news, you know, with you know the violence and the looting and whatnot. And, um, I just hope that that
1: the, the main thing with everything is to educate yourself it, yeah. with what is going on right now or what's going to be happening in two years from now, what happened two years ago in life in general, in sports, in movies, and in, in, in any uh, part of a discussion or a debate that you want to have... Um, educate yourself, form your opinion on facts and, and on things that are, are, you know, don't just, you know, build it on one side or the other, you know really see the whole field and then you can educate yourself that way. And it, it comes for, for everything. I, I you know, I, I, for a living, I, I, you know, I go on the air on TV and on radio and I'm, I'm bringing up opinion, uh, but again, those opinions are after hours and hours and hours of extensive research, and you know, pen to paper, and trying to see, you know, one side, the other side, bring it together, uh, discussing it with people in the business. I that's what I do in hockey. Um, so obviously, that's my my field of expertise, uh, and and I love doing it. Uh, but you know, when it comes to everything, that's. Um, that's what I recommend. And that's, uh, you know, and if if you've made up an opinion about it with all the facts and all of it, then, you know, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, maybe you debate it, but at least it's uh, with all the facts. And that's why I love hockey because I don't just talk to people that, that agree with me. I I talk to people that disagree with me. I talk to people that have other point of view. Uh, I, I, you know, make a living out of having a, a radio show with, with Andrew Peters and Craig Reveille and Ribs, And I always disagree on things. And, yep. and that's great. You know, that, that doesn't make us enemy. Uh, you know, we disagree on things. We debate it. We have our own opinions. We go, but it's sports. It's different. It's not, it's not, <laughs> you know, everyday life, but uh, um, so, you know, I, I, I totally understand that. And, you know, we, uh, you know, there's part of it is entertainment, And and when you talk about sports and other things, part of it is real life, and
0: that's another thing as well. I'm happy you mentioned that, Marty. It's fun to to catch you on the air. I appreciate your time and you giving this to our fans. I have one last question for you. I'm sure Dwayne has one too. Um, Going back to goaltending, who is your favorite new young netminder? And going – it's a two-part question. And back to, like, the you live through the change of the position, right? When you were born, when you came up through it, and just your your thoughts on that and how living through that has kind of, you know, where we are today with the position. The position
1: changes every five, six years, and there's always something new every five, six, seven years that comes up. Uh, You know, when I first started, we really worked hard at the butterfly, you know, the sliding on the knees, the blocks, uh, and all of that. And then after a few years of it, then some guys were doing it too much. So then it was okay. Let's work on you know patience on your feet, uh, not being a stand-up goalie, but using safe skills more than just dropping to your knees and being butterfly. Then we added some post post integration plays, but it was mostly the the V H, you know, the vertical horizontal, the the post VR, leg VH, up. VH. And being on the VH and using that because guys used to be on their feet on the post and they'd get beat all the time. Um, and then towards the end of my career, the RVH uh, came in and uh, was, was very different. Uh, I could never have done it because by that point, my body was just not working that way. Um, so it changes every six, seven years. There's a new wave of, of players, of goalies. Uh, but I'll tell you this, the foundation is always a foundation. The skating, the positioning, the, the reaction, the, the, you know, it's, it's always that foundation. Um, one young goaltender that I love watching now uh, is, uh, is uh, Carter Hart in, in, uh, in Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. Reminds me a lot of, of Carey Price when Carey Price started in the National Hockey League. You know, Carey Price has a little bit more flow to his game. Hart has a little bit more structure and stops and starts. Um, but I, I love watching them, and I, I love taking clips out of them uh, to be able to either show my son or, or to talk with young goalies about him. Uh, and there's many different goaltenders, you know, post plays. I, I, I've looked at a lot of Europeans. Uh, for their post-play. I think Linus Olmark has really good post-play. Jonas Johansson had really great post-play. UPL coming up has really, really good post-play. So I think, you know, uh, Europeans somehow have developed that post-play almost to another level than what North American were able to do. I absolutely love that. Um, So I I really look for those type of players and that post-play integration into into their game uh puck handling you know some guys are unbelievable at puck handling some guys do it too much some guys don't do it enough that's a big part of the game as well so we can't just you know downplay that it's a big part of the game so um there are some goalies that i will focus on just for puck handling Uh, and it doesn't mean a guy that can shoot it you know around the glass 100 miles an hour sometimes it's just the way they stop the puck behind the net some way they give it to their defensemen uh, so there's a lot of, uh, of different uh, facet to the game um, so there is some really really brilliant young goaltenders and and I think we've got some here in the organization as well and I would even throw Linus in that conversation uh, you know but now he's got a little bit more experience uh, but every year there's goalies that get drafted that are playing Canadian juniors or USHL or college or in the minors. And they're fantastic. And they, all they need is an opportunity, an opportunity to be able to get that spot. Jordan Bennington didn't have the opportunity until St. Louis was like, Hey, we're going to give that guy an opportunity. And he wins the, he wins the cup. And now he's one of the, the best goalie in the national hockey league. Um, sometimes you just, need that opportunity right and there's so yep. many really good goalies everywhere they just need an opportunity
2: what's your uh, opinion of eric portillo uh, i know he's going to be a future protege or uh, student of uh, stevie shields over at michigan university um i know he came from again the sweet the swedish leagues and uh that's you know unlike here you know in when you play junior hockey and uh or even travel like you're playing with men over there. You're not just playing with kids your own age. You're playing with a very diverse group, age group. And just what's your opinion of Eric and what we should expect from him?
1: I haven't seen a lot of his game personally. I've seen highlights, and he's a big guy. Um, I know that, you know, in the last few months, he's been on the ice in, uh, in Gothenburg and Ferlinda and skating with, uh, with Henrik Lundqvist up there, and I've seen pictures of that. So um, this is pretty cool. Uh, for, for a young kid to be able to learn from a guy like Lundquist. Uh But I, I'm interested to see what that's going to look like uh, at, in, in Michigan and college rank. Uh, college hockey has developed so much over the yeah. last uh, you know, couple of decades. Um, older players, more mature, physically mature, uh, better skater, harder shot. It's not you – know, juniors has its own benefits. College has a lot of benefits as well. So I'm looking forward to see more about him. Um, you know, it, I, I wasn't able to see enough of him in the USHL level to be able to, uh, uh, to form an opinion right now. But from what I'm hearing and talking to other people that have had a chance to see him, um, he's pretty good right now. But there's always that saying, like a, a, pro, a prospect becomes a project and could become a, a reject, right? So, <laughs> I mean, you, you never know where that's going to go um, and, and the opportunities that are going to be there for him, but I think he's definitely one that we have to keep an eye on, uh, over the next few years for what he'll be able to do.
2: Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I, I really look forward It is like I said, call mentioned it earlier. We always seem, you know, even, you know, even some fans might disagree over the past few years about, you know, the position of goalie. I always feel like we've been blessed and almost cursed with some of the greatest goaltending uh that this, this, this league has ever seen um and you're you know, never so cursed with it,
1: great goaltending well no
2: cursed. but <laughs> it, it never occurs but you hold it to such a higher standard in buffalo because of what we're used to seeing so the criticism of the position comes a lot more like you look back with robin Leonard and shootouts you, just, you know you know whether deservingly so with carter hutton um and now tell me a team of,
1: tell me a team that doesn't have that standard for goaltending and you can look oh around yeah the whole National Hockey League, every team has that. Every team has had that one guy over the last 10, 15 years that you're like, he set the bar. You go to Calgary, you say Mika Kipersov. Uh, you know, you go to Edmonton, and you can even say Dwayne rollison of the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. You go to Vancouver, you'll say Roberto Luongo. You can say that as well in Florida. Now in Tampa, it was Bishop and now Vasilevsky. Carolina was Cam Ward. You've got that all around the league, and I think that's a good thing. You know what that means? That means that we are, as a, as a group, the goaltenders are elevating our game to a higher level because we expect that, that, that top-notch goaltending all the time. Um, I, I, I was a kid when I got a book and a cassette tape, and it was about goaltending. And the very first line of that tape said, without a good goaltender, a great hockey team will never win. And, and it didn't say you need a great goaltender. It said a good goaltender. So I always look at, at building that foundation as, are you good? And then if you're great, perfect. But where are you? Are you good? Are you, are you at least, in my opinion, a good goalie? And where do you go from there? And I always remember that. I was eight years old, I think, when I got that cassette. I used to listen to it. It was like worn out so much that I had the wheels just spin and spin and spin. But that was the first line. So you – know- You know, you've got teams everywhere that that are considering that, uh, you know, they've had, you know, fantastic goaltenders and the bar is set higher. And that's just because we're perfectionists. Goalies by nature are perfectionists. Why? Because we want to stop every goal. A player not necessarily want to score on every shot, uh, but a goalie wants to make a save on every shot. And that's the, the nature of goals.
2: Yep. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, like I said, you've seen you've seen a lot of criticism at the position here and like I said, because we felt spoiled. Um, you know, looking back at uh, you know, a guy like Dominic Hasek, like you said, the man was the ultimate perfectionist. I remember Petey telling a story about how he, they were on rehabbing together and the hash Dom had him lay pucks along the top of the circle and just a rapid fire drill and he, Petey had his head down while he was shooting the pucks and one went in and he just kept doing the drill, then he picked his head up and hashek wasn't even playing He was scooping the puck out of the net because he gets scored on. He wanted to start the drill because he wanted to make every save. Yeah. Um, we used to it, do that you know,
1: drill it, in New York with Benoit Allaire. And Benoit's big thing was always, number one, beat the pass. So when you move in the net, if the puck is at point A and it's going to point B, beat the pass. Be there before it gets to point B. So your, your reads and your speed and your movement will allow that. The second thing he used to always say is question-answer. For every shot is the question, you need to give me the right answer. And I did this three, four times a week. He would set up five pucks, either on the right side in the slot or on the left side, and he'd have a player standing still take shots. And his thing was, look, you're not always going to react perfectly to the shot. If it's a high blocker, you're not going to stand up and just do I blocker. But I need somewhat the right answer on every shot. And if they score on puck number four, they get a fresh new set of pucks after that, and they start over again until you've given me 100% of the question-answer that I need. And I remember Derek Stepan used to be a young guy, and he wanted to get better, and he would take shots all the time. And you know, I used to watch Lundqvist, and I couldn't believe how quick Lundqvist was as reacting to pucks and not going down butterfly or standing on his feet and making the saves and and I would get in there and that was my drive, right? I needed to be perfect. I needed to have the perfect answer for the question. Uh, and that is embedded in my head right now. I use those two terms all the time, beat the pass, question, answer. Those are the two you know, things that I, I close my eyes and I see them on the board right now because that was so important. That's the perfectionist in us goalies that, that always will stand out. Um, and Dominic Ashek was probably the epitome of that. Uh, but I've played with many of them that have just that same, uh, that same
2: feeling. Yeah, it's, you, you hit the nail right on the head there, Marty. I don't know if you have any uh, feelings on that, Kali.
0: I just think that you've been very blessed to work with the Allaire brothers. And, uh, like, w- w- did you know them growing up, coming from Quebec? Uh, Yeah, I worked, uh, you know, actually I went to their summer
1: camp uh, a a couple of years. One year I worked at their summer camp as a demonstration goalie. So you basically go on the ice in your full gear and you're there probably six hours a day, three in the morning, three in the afternoon. And you do the drills to demo the drills so that the young kids can see the drills being demonstrated and they know exactly what is expected out of them. We used to do a tune-up camp every end of August, early September before the NHL camp with Frankie Allaire, we'd go on the ice with him. Um, so yeah. And I wasn't the prototypical butterfly goalie. I, I, I wasn't. There was a lot of other guys that were more like this, like Roberto Luongo was a butterfly goalie. John Sebastian Jaguar was a butterfly goalie. I was a little bit more of a hybrid, but I learned a ton. And that tune up and that time that I learned from, from Francois and Benoit Allaire, uh, really helped me, you know, Lengthen my career because when you get older and your athleticism is not the same and all of a sudden you lose a little bit of of that agility and that quickness you can rely on the foundation and the structure and that's that's maybe why I was able to play for 15 years as opposed to just 10 because I, I went back to that structure and that foundation and it helped
2: awesome uh, now I know we've taken up a lot of your time Marty. but if you don't mind, we do have some questions from some fans. If you don't mind, that will sure, we'll a do. Few. We'll
1: do quick. We'll do like rapid fire type stuff uh, with. Uh, okay. Okay. Question.
2: Um, first question. Uh, it's a two part question. Is from Ken Nasky, friend of the program. Uh, Collie knows him very well as well.
0: Kenny, good guy.
2: Um, great guy. Beauty. Um, is O'Mark a potential franchise goaltender?
1: I think Linus is, uh, you know, trending in the direction that I say would be a number one goaltender for a team. Now, a franchise, we have to define that, right? Is this a franchise goalie, a goalie that plays as a number one for 10 years? Or is it three, four, five years good enough to be a franchise goalie? Um, you know, so for me, the word franchise goalie, especially in this day and age, um, it, it could be mistreated and it could be brought in in, in, a, in a different light. Um, so. I think that Linus is, is a, a, a number one goalie trending that way and going to be a good one. Uh, franchise, we can throw that out, and it can mean something or not, so I'm not really worried about that.
2: Okay. Um, and the second part of that question is, and I'd like to piggyback off this a little bit too, is what needs to happen for the Sabres to be a legitimate playoff team? Now, with, with this question, you know, we kind of got into it a little bit earlier um obviously with kind of what happened with me you know six or five or how many months ago it was you know i was a very frustrated fan because um, i've spent the majority of my adolescence you know you know following this team worshiping this team the players having like we've mentioned before these these great fan experiences um off the ice and then some on the ice and seeing a lot of winning and just, you know, just like, you know, I know there's a lot of frustrated fans out there with the current state of the team. And when, you know, when I made into that call into WGR and kind of, you know, lost my, lost, lost my mind, lost my fucking mind, it wasn't out of hatred for the ownership. It wasn't out of hatred for this team or anything like that. It was just frustration because I've grown to know such a good product on and off the ice. And just seeing like kids like my nephews, not knowing what that's like, kids that i've coached over the last near decade and that no not really having any clue what that's like um just you know just your opinion um to me as a fan a frustrated fan like what would need to happen in your eyes you know being who you are and your knowledge of the game what would it need to happen for this team as kenny asked you know what needs to happen for this team to be a contender again someday
1: well we debated all the time on the instigators and uh, you know ribs as his uh, his way of uh of thinking am I we're thinking PDS is we're thinking uh we've had many guests and whatnot obviously right now um you look at the way the league is built and it's built on depth and and having teams that are rolling you know four lines deep three grid pairs and that's hard to to construct and you need luck and you need to stay healthy and there's a lot of different ways uh, but uh, we've said it many times and you know and 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 you know uh, Jason Bottrell has brought it up is it just they need to build and add depth, uh, especially at the forward position. And and after that, then you need to, uh, to stay healthy and, and produce and, and play up to the level that you know you can. And I think we're, we're really scratching that surface right now. Um, and, and, and this is hard, and this pandemic, and not knowing when the team is going to return, if it's going to be December, January, how that's all going to work. So we're all in the holding pattern right now, but I do believe that this is definitely uh, uh, going to be trending the right way, uh, and, uh, and you know I, 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 I am really confident that it's, uh, it's, it's for the better, and then things are going to really
0: look up uh, moving forward. All right, Marty, no. this or that. Um, a Feneganoff, which is the better clip? A OT winner celebration versus the Rangers? Or are you trash talking Eric Stahl from the bench?
1: Greg Day. I think,
0: I think a Fenniganoff OT winner against
1: the Rangers is a way better clip. Really? I was about no to chirp. Like,
2: that chirp was great. That chirp was, that chirp was great, but
1: there. that was the one really good chirp I've ever had. So. No, and, you,
2: Crosby, Crosby, you chirped Crosby awful.
1: pretty good. When I chirped Crosby, it was awful. So uh, I, don't I, I don't lie, and I don't lie, and I don't want to. Uh, come on, that was an awful chirp. Like oh, it's still uh, it made it made Sports Center. I know, but the one on was way better, and that was my only one. I was never to really uh, people say I was a good chirper. I don't think I was. I was not clever enough to be a good chirper. So I'm going to say a Finneganov's uh, uh, OT dive, and uh, because Max, I talked to him in the, in the spring with the up of the pandemic, I did an interview with him and I said, what happened to yep. you? He goes, I don't know. I just wanted to jump. I just wanted to jump. And I just think the emotion was great. Right. So, um, and I remember watching the game on TV, so I'm going to give it to Max, um, yep. way better.
2: And he was in the Lindy Ruff doghouse there for a little bit right before that. Too. He didn't play the game
1: before and then he yep. came back and had that goal. So, I hey, listen, that's, you know, Decision coaches have to make. And I asked Maxim about that, and Max says, Hey, it worked, right? I scored the game winning goal, so I can't say nothing about it.
2: Puck had eyes, man. That puck had eyes. And, you know, it beat beat one of your counterparts, uh, Hank Lundquist. Um, Next question comes from Bobby Hansen. What separates Buffalo from all the other cities you've played in in terms of fan base and food?
1: Food? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Everybody really loved coming into Buffalo, the teams I played with, because they love. The uh, small atmosphere type, uh, really intimate restaurants. Uh, You know, some of the guys love coming in Buffalo so they could go to the restaurants downtown. It wasn't like you go to a big city and you got all your chains around. They're all individual. You remember the people. You remember the owner, the maitre d' or whatnot. Um, They seem to always love that. Uh, when it comes to fan base, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play for the fan base and I've felt their support and, uh, and, and their anger at times, but mostly their support. Uh, and then coming in as a visiting team, you're like, man, this is, this place could be intimidating. Like, uh, they, uh, uh maybe I saw it because I had been there on the other side, but, um, that fan base is, uh, is definitely a really good fan base and we've seen it even in the last few years here. Uh, you know, with some of the success that the team has had, at time like it is a fun building. It's exciting. Uh, it's loud. So, I think that uh, I would I would rank him at one of the top. I used to love going play in 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 New York City at MS, uh, MSG Madison Square Garden. I used to go play in Philly. Uh, the fans were nuts. But at the same time. There's something special about Buffalo, about their knowledge of the game, about their intensity for the game, and uh, and that blue-collar mentality. So uh, I think they're definitely one of the top.
0: All right, last question for me, Marty. We appreciate your time. This is coming from Dougie Fresh. Can you ask what his mindset was like during your 13-game winning streak during 05-06 season? You were at the top of your game and were unbeatable. It's a great. I went question. crazy. I literally went crazy because I was – I don't want
1: to say if I was very superstitious, but I had a routine and that routine had to stay the same. And when you win and win and win and win and win, it's almost like it takes over. Um, I had one stick and the way that I did it is I taped the stick, a new stick. And if I won, I put that stick aside and then I retaped it for the next game. And if I won, I put the stick aside and I retaped it for the next game. Well, uh, Johnny, you know, like, Played 13 games with the same stick. That stick's going to be shattered. It's going to be yep. broken, right? In the National Hockey League, the shots are coming hard. It was a Montreal stick with a uh, fiberglass shaft. So the, gla- the, the shaft started to crack. I had fiberglass tape around it. I had fiberglass tape on the blade. <laughs> the thing was just shattered. In the 13th game, I was in Pittsburgh, and at the end of the game with about two minutes left, uh, one of the Pittsburgh Penguins player fell on my stick, and it literally cracked in half. And I remember Jamie Key says, I'll go get you a new stick. And I'm like, no, no, it's good, it's good, it's good. (laughs) The thing was like a wet noodle. I didn't have a stick, really, for the last two minutes. But I wasn't going to get rid of that because I was winning. And sure enough, I had to get a new stick for the next game, and I lost. So it was the stick's fault. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. I, I went a little crazy during that 13 straight start winning streak because I really, really, that routine and that superstitions, overtook me and that's something I learned from that is you can't let it overtake you you have to really uh, breathe and be able to relax and we talk to so many players now where they say they have to disconnect for the game a little bit they have to go to a movie they have to you know hang out with friends they because the game can overtake you and more than anything I think right now the game has a tendency to overtake me as an analyst and as a fan uh because i'm not in the game and when i'm in the game i'm able to like see the minor details and feel the emotion and be able to relax but now i'm sitting at a desk and i'm like ah and i want to jump right out of my seat right for good and for bad so it's it's harder in that position but that 13 win streak um i went a little crazy creatures
2: yeah. of habit yeah. absolutely we, we all have those superstitions you also have Don't you have the longest shutout streak in franchise history, too, if I do recall? I think so, in Buffalo. I think I had three in a row. Uh, But,
1: again, like, I had that, that bad red glove. It was Ryan Miller's glove, and my gear was black, white, and a little bit of red, and this glove is full red with a little navy blue. That was a Rochester glove that he had. I liked, and he didn't want it, so I used it. And I started winning some games with it. And, you know, at the time, CCM, who made the glove, sent me a perfectly nice black and white glove. That was the exact same thing. But no, no, no I got to keep this one because you this keep one's that one. working. Like, working come on. You. Like, the, you know, you have a really nice glove love that will fit the whole outfit. And, uh, no, I had to keep the – they used to call it the stop sign. It looked like a big yep. red stop sign. So, And, uh, yeah, so I kept that just because of it. So I, I went crazy a few times.
2: Last, you know. I love some goalie gear talk, man. I love it.
1: Yeah. We could do a whole um, other show with that.
2: We yeah. could. Um, I, uh, last question for me and Marty, and it comes from Twitter handle at Dwayne S 39. I don't know who this guy is. Exactly. Uh, he, he would like Definitely. to know, he would, he would like to know if will Dwayne ever be allowed to call into WGR again?
1: Not my <laughs> department. So uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to stay clear from that, but uh, not my department. And, uh, uh you know i i'm always willing to engage in good uh in good hockey discussions and in uh uh you know in in finding um solutions and so that's what i do so uh you know not my department i'll just leave it that way.
0: Marty, we I love really appreciate you, man. This has been unreal. Our fans are going to love it. You're an ambassador for the game, for the city. We love yep. what you do. You're, you're great for the game. You're great for the city, and we appreciate you.
1: man. I appreciate and, it. Thanks, guys. Uh, stay and Mar- safe and healthy. All of you guys that are listening, very important. And, uh, you know, we're going to get some uh, some hockey at some point in the fall and the winter or whatnot, so uh, that will be fun.